Welcome everyone to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Today, I'm super excited because we have a very special guest, female guest. Uh, she is Chief Revenue Officer for Inclusive. I had the honor of being on a panel with her uh, for 10 Bounds Virtual Sale Conference where we talked about multi-threading and multi-channel prospecting. I'm not sure if you can guess who it is yet, but welcome to the show, Nikki Ivy. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Great to have you on. And there's so much that we've got to get through. Um, I don't think we're going to have enough time to ask all the questions that we want to ask. You've got lots of burning questions. First off, you've been in sales for more than a decade. You've reached the top spot in your company. You've been the only black woman on the team 99% of the time. And this is something that you know, you're very passionate about, not just sales, but also social justice advocacy. You have a flame inside you to ignite cultural change and the passion for this profession that you've connected with. And you tell us more about that. You, you, you put out a lot of meaningful content on diversity and inclusion. You're a champion for that. Tell us more about that and how you're trying to sort of change that in sales. Yeah, it actually, it did. It started out as a sales problem, meaning, you know, I was aware of the impact that, you know, a lack of a sense of belonging, you know, a difficulty feeling, a sense of inclusion can have on sales outcomes. And it's just not something people were talking about. And the reason we weren't talking about that is because sales is often touted as a meritocracy, right? So if you're in a profession where you're being told, right, if you are not producing or enjoying the kinds of outcomes that you want, the only reason is that you're terrible. You're not doing your job well. And in many you know, professions, maybe that's the case. But at the end of the day, in a sales career, there are these other things that go into it that we, you know, all of us needed to start talking about, right? So again, how does a lack of inclusion and belonging impact your ability to show up as your best sales self? And the more I started to examine that, the more I started to uncover, you know, that I wasn't the only one feeling that that impact and, and that I also haven't been the only one feeling that that imperative. So that's, that's kind of how it all began. No, beyond that. So once I got to the place where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with, and I'm starting to look at how these, you know, factors, these culture factors are impacting performance. Then I started to really listen to just what people were saying, right? What is the type of language that we're using in sales as a culture? How do we talk and think about ourselves and each other and who is and is not even included in those conversations. So again, you mentioned this stat about me being uh, the only black woman. That was, again, problem number one that I encountered. Uh, but then uh, when I started to listen to the language and how we talk, you know, I heard women being spoken about by some of the men at the company, you know, the women in their lives, right? Their, their wives or their girlfriends as, you know, pretty little appendages and as if they didn't work with women alongside women who were doing the exact same job that they were doing and doing it well. I saw a complete lack of consciousness around, you know, again, the potential impact of just being surrounded by those attitudes on a regular basis. Uh, and then the other one of the other of the, to round out the top three, right? Thing that I noticed in terms of just what we're doing in sales culture that could be impeding people's access to a sense of inclusion and belonging is I listened to the way that bro bros and bro culture 
were talking about people in the LGBTQ plus community. It wasn't good. I had this experience where I was like listening to these gentlemen and it was locker room talk. And I thought to myself, what would it feel like if I were a part of the group that they are disrespecting right now? And then it hit me that there aren't even any gay people here, right? Like, so it's a problem in the culture already that there aren't any here in that particular environment. And then could I feel good about telling my friends to come work, not even just at this office, but in this profession, if I know that the larger culture also does not respect that identity or any intersection thereof. I know this is heavy stuff. That's it. That's Those are the things. And it just, it got to a point where beyond it affecting, again, my own outcomes, it was just what was happening in the world as well. Um, started to just become untenable, started to just become something I could no longer just, you know, chalk up to, well, that's just the way things are. Um, so now I'm out here disrupting. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Because <laughs> I, I think there's three things you've touched, you know, there's gender, sexuality, and race. And I think, as you said, sales bros. Definitely heard that a million times. You see the LinkedIn posts, it's like your sales dudes, sales bros, and kind of how they push that culture. And they, they do historically go quite hand in hand. And I think it's definitely something that I'd like to see is changing and hopefully has changed quite a bit. But I think, you know, yourself proclaim kind of sales and social justice kind of advocacy, which I think is extremely important and giving a voice for a lot of people that don't have it, especially in kind of, and Charlotte, you'll agree, kind of the sales bro type of culture. So looking back, Nikki, so say when you started out, and now obviously you're a CRO, you know, you're top of the, top of the chain. When you started out, what, what kind of advice would you give yourself? What, what did you wish you would known about the culture and about kind of starting up in sales? I wish, well, here's the thing, right? So that 1% that I mentioned was my very first sales job in B2B tech, right? Where yeah. it was the most diverse place that I had ever, that I had ever worked, let alone, you know, again, in a, in a sales role. And so I didn't know that there was stuff I needed to know as far as how to navigate <laughs> the lack of diversity in this thing. So, so the first thing I would have done was just told, you know, young Nikki, hey, you know, this is not actually what it's like out there everywhere yeah. else. Uh, <laughs> but what I, what I more helpfully, I would have said, you're feeling your otherness right now. And that's okay. Yeah. What you must not do is shrink from it. What you must not do is mute it. And for goodness sake, what you must not do is placate other people who behave as though they're threatened by it. Mm. I, I spent a lot of time being very conscious of, you learn this over the life of being a black woman, because if you don't, your safety a lot of the time, whether that's emotional or actually physical, is uh, at risk, right? So you learn to very quickly pick up on when someone is you know, threatened by you for one reason or another, or when someone just isn't quite comfortable uh, with your presence. And then you have a choice. And a lot of us have this, we have a lot of practice. We've learned that that choice almost always has to be to not ever make uncomfortable this person who at the societal level is part of a group who can make your life difficult or even this immediate environment and the social structure therein, right? If we're talking about, if what we know is that LinkedIn tells us that upwards of 70% of hiring happens from within someone's network. And what we also know is that most of the, most of the sales leaders networks, at least when I was starting out, were not diverse at all. People were basically like networking with folks that were them basically, right? Which is younger. Then it didn't always feel like 
I could risk, right, making folks uncomfortable with truths because in a very real way, it could impact my opportunity, which for me is, you know, my ability to feed my family. I have four kids. And so, wow. so that's what the, what the advice would be is just like, you will feel that impulse and you will feel like you can't tell these truths, but you must. And the sooner you start telling them, the better off you will be. Like you'll feel better. You'll be more successful because you'll be able to bring your entire self to everything you do. Love that. Thank you. You were going to say Charlotte, it sounded like, but I was waxing passionate. <laughs> Is you, is you, you muted yourself, Charlotte. I have actually. So. <laughs> That's worth there a guess. There, yeah. um, and we're almost 20 podcasts in as well. And I'm still doing that. Um, <laughs> managed to mute one of our other co-hosts, Rob, on another one <laughs> for the whole podcast. Oh, that was, that was funny. That was very funny. <laughs> that was with James Bockley. Anyway. Um, yeah, so you're saying that you, 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 know, you felt sort of you didn't want to jeopardize your job. You mentioned sort of the camaraderie as well with your teammates and you didn't want to put yourself on the line you know you've taken that path to sort of you know as you said you you became more confident you start growing you're following on LinkedIn what do you think taking this this message and the future of sales how do you think you know what what's your message to our listeners who, who might be like you and they might be say too afraid to speak up if they're you know like you what would be yeah. your message to them for the future so if you are part of an identity or a group that is underrepresented, underestimated, what you must not do is take all the responsibility on your shoulders. And I think what for the future of sales culture, community has to continue to grow the way that we've seen it uh, in the last couple of years. I think that made a big difference for me. It's why I feel so lucky that that first sales job of mine was so diverse um, it did not hurt that I worked for a uh, world-renowned sales leader, Scott Lees. Uh, it, did, it did not hurt that I worked for someone who was, who was good at the job. Uh, but I hope he doesn't hear. I hate saying things that make his head big, but facts are facts. He's good at the job. Anyway, so 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 it was more than oh, we were people of different colors and different identities in that space. What made it such a beautiful experience for me and one that made me fall in love with, you know, B2B tech sales, right? Was that sense of connection that we had to each other, that sense of community that we had with each other. What is difficult when you are part of a group that is underrepresented, right, is like I've been mentioning before, to access that sense of community. But what we saw happen in uh, in 2020, right, with, with, the re- with COVID and, and with lockdown and Salespeople, frankly, being laid off in droves, right, um, at their at their companies, as we saw folks finally confronting our need for community. Because before, you know, I mentioned that culture at the top. Before role culture, you're in trouble if you say you need community. You're not supposed to need anything, right? Because this is a meritocracy, right? And if you're really, really good at it, nothing can stop you. So when we started to see that that was a lie and that we're all actually kind of sad that we don't have community with each other anymore, <laughs> you started to see all of these sales communities pop up. And then I think we've, we're all better for it, you know, in a roundabout way. Like It's why we're all even here on this call together. It's why we know who each other is at this point. And it happens so rapidly. And there are communities now that you know, that include or that focus on those various identity groups that tend to be underrepresented on individual sales floors, right? So I'm one of the founding members of a group called Sales for the Culture, 
we're at about, I think, like 1,300 uh, black sellers. And it, it functions almost like an external employee resource group. So, you know, there are things that maybe happen just as a standard part of being a black person in, you know, a situation where you're the minority that that social tension I mentioned earlier, right, would be created just for me to be able to vent and talk about it because to vent and talk about these things sometimes means to implicate uh, your your colleagues because maybe they're the ones committing the microaggressions. But when I have this community of folks who may or may not be experiencing the same thing, but at the very least, of course, understand what it must be like, that is a lifeline. And so what I would love to see for the future of sales and sales culture is more of those communities, you know, or the ones that exist growing. I'm particularly concerned with the lack of you know, voices from dis of disabled people in sales content, right, and culture who's visible. I don't see anyone. Maybe I do, but don't know. I'd like to meet that person. Um, you have a couple of folks who are, you know, very valiantly carrying that torch uh, for the LGBTQ plus community. Shout out to Ashley Zax and Evan Patterson. But I only know those yeah. two names, right? So, yep. so what I'm saying is I need that. I need 1,300 of them, right? And then eventually <laughs> maybe we'll be, you know, there'll be as many of us as there are, there are in these other communities, but that's not something we should shy away from. That's not something that we should, you know, just try on our own, you know, sales floors to just overcome and get through it because that's just not fair, to put yourself through and it's not necessary because there are people who are going through what you're going through who are probably looking for you and when when you get with those people and y'all link arms everybody is unstoppable stronger stronger together for sure and I, I love i love the mention of community because one thing in the last two years from marketing in particular this this idea of community-based marketing and community growing and community engagement has just come out of the woodwork really i think a lot of people have been doing it without realizing but it's now become almost a topic or a focus area especially in the digital area also connecting people who are isolated who are more remote i think there's never been more of a sense of a digital and online community and it's i agree it's so nice to see that growing and i'm really excited to see kind of where the future holds and kind of off the back of that and obviously this is me starting to geek out about marketing a little bit <laughs> but have you um have you kind of when working closely with marketers have you seen kind of similar divisions have you seen kind of similar issues in kind of a marketing function and if so you know how have you kind of reacted to that and worked with that it's funny actually i haven't seen it as much and you know, I think maybe part of it is that as marketers, you know, depending on which specific um, marketing function that you're that you're doing, it, it involves consuming a lot of content as well. Right. Just as research. And that sometimes can lend itself to consuming a wider set of ideas, therefore a wider set of identities. So they're a little more connected. Right to who even is it that's contributing ideas and content in the first place. It's, it's part of their job, right? Because you're going to do, you might make some people mad if you're in marketing and you don't understand certain cultural contexts or sensitivities. Shout out to Walmart's Juneteenth ice cream. So like, yes, <laughs> uh, marketers, marketers tend to be a little bit more conscious of this because they have to for their jobs. And just personally, um, I used to host a podcast called B2B Growth. And I had, uh, at the time, this woman, I believe she was the VP of marketing at HubSpot. Her uh, name was Megan Keeney Anderson. I'm not sure if she's there anymore. 
But we had this very discussion, right? We talked about how do you, how do you keep that at the forefront, right? This, this idea that you are being culturally aware and, and, and making sure that you're not, you know, causing harm or disrespect. And that is what she said, right? She was like, you have to intentionally and actively consume content from folks who you see are missing, right? From the highest places of visibility, you have to take that on as your, as your responsibility. And I think that the organizations that are the most successful, right, when it comes to inclusion and belonging are the ones that have that idea and that approach in every function. That is what she was, uh, what Megan Kenny Anderson was sharing with me. It's why I remember her name years later. Uh, and, mm. and when I, as, as an example, right, um, I don't know anybody at HubSpot and they're not paying me. Uh, but it's, it's <laughs> sorry, it's sorry if you're listening and you're beefing with them. That's my bad. But, but what I'm seeing, so there's a, an organization called the, the Black Marketers Association of America that is, uh, was started by some marketers, black female marketers at HubSpot. Uh, there is, um, I don't know why I can't remember her name right now, but a young woman who just started working on the sales team at HubSpot, woman of color. And she got in there and she was like, there's not enough of us. She squeaky wheeled it. And you know what? They took action. And so what, this is an example, I think of a, again, a company that, that understands that you're going to have to be more intentional, uh, about these things and get away from some of this passive, whoever applies, applies, right. Um, type of mentality. I hope I yeah. answered your question. No, definitely. It's interesting because there's two functions and a lot on this podcast, we talk about how aligned they are, or how close they are, or how much they should collaborate. But there is still massive differences in terms of, you know, who, who does the work, who's working, um, kind of the messages they're pushing out and how they're responding to the audience. So as, as joint as they are and how successful they can be, there are still some divides, which I yeah find it really fascinating, actually. Yeah, yeah. I've been on a couple of marketing teams. I, I, considered myself a sales expatriate for a, yeah. for about a 12 month period. Uh, and part of, part of what I just described is, is why I really enjoyed my time on, on marketing teams. Love anyway. that. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. And you talking about sort of, you know, keeping the, the cultural awareness at the forefront of marketing and sales as well. Now sort of moving on to what do you think should stop in sales and marketing, Nikki, tomorrow, if it was down to you? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, All the power in the world. <laughs> Anything you want. This reminds me, I was, so I was in a pageant in college, and they asked this question, if you could wave a magic wand, you know, and change anything <laughs> today. And when I tell y'all, I got on the microphone, and I was like, if I could wave a magic wand, I would end racism all over the world. <laughs> so, so I lost. Um, but anyway... <laughs> I had a little flashback and wanted to share that with y'all. Uh, but if I could change anything. The same, same question right now, sales and marketing. <laughs> and you can react in the same way. <laughs> so, okay, so the girl that, side note, the girl that won, she got asked, if you could only eat one fast food place for the rest of your life, what would it be? And she said Burger King. And I was like, first of all, that's the wrong answer. Anyway, <laughs> that is not so a shout out to Burger King. That is not a shout out to Burger King. not a shout out to Burger King. Uh... <laughs> But so if I could change or stop one thing right now, I would want, culturally speaking, for this barrier of a fear of misstepping to finally go away. What I mean is there is a lack of action on the part of, of a lot of folks. M many of them have to do with, you know, are in positions of hiring, right? And they've seen who is and is not represented and they've bought into this story that they're telling themselves, right? That again, 
well, there's just not that many people from that identity or, you know, frankly, some folks will say answers that amount to we're doing just fine without them, although they wouldn't phrase it that way. Um, but a lot of that I, I find comes from those folks just not understanding that they have a very important role in making progress, they feel a lot of the time as though they've been cast as the villain in the story, right? If they don't belong to one of the protected groups, right? Or don't have a lot of firsthand experiences with a lot of things like microaggressions. But at the end of the day, right, you're set. The opportunity here is not necessarily to like solve these big problems that we as a, you know, civilization have yet to solve, um, but to own and be proud of and excited about Right. What you can impact in your immediate environment. And so if we would just stop telling ourselves that throwing up our hands, oh, there's just not that many people here. Or, you know, we went through the unconscious bias training, but people still, you know, dead name trans employees, stuff like that. Like we just have to stop letting people off the hook at the end of the day. That's what I would want. I would want for us to all hold ourselves accountable to a much greater degree than we're doing right now because what we're doing right now kind of feels like accepting the circumstances as they are and that's not going to get us where we need to go yeah i think that's a very powerful point i I feel like you've already answered my next question but um we're coming up to near the end of the recording slot and normally we ask each guest you know what is kind of the one tip or one takeaway you want the audience to have and i know you've spoken about kind of believing yourself speaking out linking up to communities and you've got on 1300 strong what what would you be kind of the number one tip nikki to kind of talk to the audience if they were listening right now i'm like a sales tip a culture tip i don't know all of them Uh, (laughs) well for the Uh, To a great extent, right, when I'm talking about belonging and inclusion, I'm also talking about empathy at the end of the day, right? Because I think that the extent to which we can empathize with other people's experiences, you know, is a predictor of the extent to which we will fight to to make things things equal. And when we are told this when it comes to, you know, how to be successful as salespeople, everyone kind of knows and accepts that that empathy is important, but what we often don't know is, you know, what we can do to build that empathy, right? Especially when it's populations that maybe we don't have a lot of experience with. And so the tip, I guess, is what I've been doing is, um, and it happens to be folks from my ICP, I sell to HR and DEI leaders, but it's it's also just out of, out of a place of these are the folks in the trenches trying to do this hard work. So what I do to build empathy for those folks is I just I go and attend their webinars, right? The ones that they are going to to learn, right? They don't have anything to do with me or what I sell. I'm definitely not going as a vendor. I'm not going to pitch these people. I'm going there to sit and listen to these people talk about the issues and ideas that specifically face people in their role. Right. It's one thing for me to read about what's important to marketers if I sell to marketers. Right. It's one thing for me to, you know, even go to a conference that's geared at marketers, because even then. Right. As salespeople, if we go to a conference, it's always with some sales objective. But if we can just show up to these things to genuinely be curious and learn about the folks that we're wanting to to sell to or do business with, it's made me a much better seller specifically to uh, that ICP that I mentioned, right? Meaning that I went to this conversation 
And the way I heard it was about, you know, how HR and DEI leaders avoid burnout, right? Because you got to imagine it's really draining work. And the way I heard those folks talk about, you know, what they do and how they run into that burnout and then the absolute optimism that they still express at the end of that call, it stayed with me. And it's there in every single sales conversation I have with prospects from that community. So I don't, I, I'm no longer feel as though, right, I am a vendor selling into this industry. I'm a member of the community that is this industry. And again, if you can do that, right, for, it, it doesn't have to be for people you sell to, but for any group or identity that you think, you know, I would like to show up better for, but I don't know how, you know, and, and maybe just the reading and studying and learning can only go so far, just, just show up and listen and then bring the empathy that that builds with you into the next conversations that you have. And you'll see yourself starting to grow community with those people. And oh, by the way, as a bonus, you'll see yourself uh, likely being more successful as a seller to those folks as well. Absolutely love it, Nikki. It's like genuine empathy. Nothing beats that. We see a lot of fake empathy as well with a lot of salespeople still going on some of the, the emails that I've been getting and LinkedIn messages lately. But yeah, really doing something different, isn't it? And 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 showing up and and really listening to, as you said, and experiencing what they're feeling and getting inside sort of their mind. So many more questions that we could ask you. We've come to the end of our show, so we definitely need to get you back on, Nikki. Tell us where they can find you. I am ubiquitous. No, uh, you can <laughs> find me on LinkedIn. I kind of I kind of live there. Um, but but the, the inbox is a little bit flooded there. So I would recommend uh, Twitter uh, and Instagram. So it's at no Nikki Ivy, um, not no as in rejection, but K-N-O-W-N-I-K-K-I-I-V-E-Y as in get to know Nikki Ivy. And again, that's on Twitter and Instagram. Fantastic. And as ever, you've got me, Charlotte, Charlotte Lloyd. Um, I'm sure you're sick of hearing that now. <laughs> and Sam Furburn, you can follow us on LinkedIn too. And as ever, leave us a review, tell your friends about us, give us some feedback, and we hope to see you on the next episode. Thanks, Nikki. Cheers. Yay, thanks so much.